Your brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back into our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now here is the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome everybody. Okay, we're talking about today greed and gluttony. You know, greed or avarice or cupidity or covetous is an excessive desire for more than what is needed or deserved. Not for the greater good, but for one's own selfish interests and at the detriment of other people and society at large. So greed can be for any anything, but is most commonly for food, for money, for possessions, for power, fame, status, attention, admiration, and even sex. You know, the, the origins of greed, by the way, it, it, it's, it usually arises out of early negative experiences uh, such as uh, parental inconsistency, neglect, abuse, and in later life, feelings of anxiety and vulnerability, often combined with low self-esteem, lead the person to fixate on a particular substitute for what they once needed but could not find. So the pursuit and the accumulation or, or of the substitute not only seems to make up for the loss, but it also provides comfort and reassurance, and it distracts from frightening feelings of emptiness and meaning, meaninglessness. And as far as a person can see, life is a simple choice between greed and fear. You know, it, it's much more developed in human beings than any other animal. No doubt because human beings have the unique capacity to project themselves into the future and in in particular to the time of their death and beyond. And throughout our short life, the idea of our mortality haunts us. Not only that, but it conflicts with our strong survival instincts and it gives rise to anxiety about our purpose, our meaning, our value. And so this, it's called existential angst. Uh, though it's usually subconscious, manifests in the form of uh, compensatory behaviors. And of course, greed is one of those behaviors. And to help cope with our anxiety, our existential anxiety, we we basically inhabit a, a larger culture which elaborates a narrative of human life and of death. And through the narrative, it furnishes uh, us with the purpose and the meaning and the value for what we yearn. And whenever uh, existential angst threatens to surface into our conscious mind, we naturally turn to our culture for comfort and consolation, and in doing so, we embrace it even more tightly. So what other choice do we have if we're not strong or educated enough uh, to question our culture? Now, you know, our culture and lack of it it is in flux at all times, and it's oftentimes in crisis, especially these days, and it places a high value on materialism and, by extension, greed. Our, our culture's emphasis on greed is such that people have become immune to satisfaction, and having acquired one thing, they're immediately ready to desire the next thing that might 
suggests itself. And so, you know, the object of desire is no longer satisfaction in this day and age, but desire itself. You know, can greed be good? Well, you know, uh, another theory of, of greed is that it is uh, programmed into our genes because through the course of evolution, it is tended to promote survival. And without greed, a person, community, society may lack the motivation to build or achieve or move or change and may also be rendered more vulnerable to greed of other people. You know, it, though it's an, an imperfect force, uh, it's the only consistent human motivation and it produces uh, pr- preferable economic and social outcomes most of the time and under most conditions. You know, it, it's uh, if you look at uh, greed in a sense of what comes out of it, some things are good. Some things do, you know, jobs may be developed, people's lives may be enhanced, but oftentimes they're not in balance. You know, there's drawbacks of greed also. It may be good for the economies. It may not be so good for individuals. But a person who is consumed by greed becomes utterly fixated on the object of their greed. And life and all its richness and complexity is basically reduced to little more than a quest to accumulate and hoard as much as possible of whatever it is that the person craves. And even though they have... uh, met every reasonable need or more, they're unable to adapt and reformulate their drives and their desires. So if the person is embarrassed by their greed, they may take to hiding it behind a carefully crafted persona. Uh, For example, a man who craves power and runs for political office may deceive others and in the end perhaps themselves that what they really want is to help others while also speaking out against those who, like themselves, crave power for the sake of power. There's also deception, and that's a common outcome of greed. And as envy and spite, you know, uh, greed is also associated with negative emotional states such as stress, exhaustion, anxiety, depression, despair, and with maladaptive behaviors such as gambling or, or scavenging or hoarding or, or theft, by overcoming a reason, compassion and love and greed undoes family and community ties and undermines the very values in which society and our civilization are founded. So greed may fuel the economy, but as recent history made it all too clear, uncontrolled greed can also lead us to a deep, long-lasting economic recession. You know, if you look at Maslow's hierarchy, you know, uh, Abraham Maslow was a 20, 20th century psychologist. Uh, he proposed that healthy human beings have a certain number of needs and that these needs are arranged in a hierarchy with some needs such as uh, physiological and safety needs being more primitive, meaning those are the first things that a baby will look for and basic than the others, such as social and ego needs. So Maslow's uh, hierarchy of needs is often presented as a five-level pyramid with higher needs coming into focus only once lower, more basic needs have been met. So 
what he basically called as the bottom four levels of the pyramid are the deficiency needs because a person does not feel anything if they, if they are met. Thus, physiological needs such as eating, drinking, sleeping are deficiency needs, as are safety needs, social needs such as friendship, sexual intimacy, the ego needs such as self-esteem and recognition. On the other hand, Maslow called for the fifth level of the pyramid to be a growth need because it enables a person to self-actualize and that is to reach their fullest potential as a human being. And once a person has met the deficiency needs, the focus of the anxiety shifts to self-actualization and then they begin this uh, more semi-conscious, subconscious uh, uh, coming forward and defining the meaning and the passion in our life. You know, the problem with greed is that it grounds us not only in the lower levels of the pyramid and thereby prevents us from ascending to the top level of growth and self-actualization. And the, the precise purpose of greed is to defend against angst, existential anxiety and which, once again, it's existential angst, which is more a type of anxiety associated with the highest rung of the pyramid. So we're living a very primitive life with greed, and yet we don't have a chance to self-actualize. And so that means that we become a very primitive, simple person with a very myopic, single, linear type of goal process rather than a wide, multi-purpose goal process of living. You know, um, there's also a problem with greed and religion because greed keeps us from the bigger picture. It prevents us from communi uh, communing with ourselves, with God, and it's strongly condemned by all major religious traditions. You know, in the Buddhist tradition, craving holds us back from the path to enlightenment. In the Christian uh, tradition, avarice is one of the seven deadly sins. And it is understood as a form of idolatry that forsakes the love of God and for the love of the self and the material things. And it forsakes things eternal for things temporal. In purgatory, Dante, when he did the uh, uh, seven levels of hell, uh, basically uh, uh, looked at the avarice-bound uh, prostate on a hard rock floor as punishment and for their attachment to the earthly goods and for the neglect of higher things. You know, this, this neglect of higher things is, is the mother of all sin. You know, for, for St. Paul, greed is the root of all evil. And so, similarly, in the Hindu, uh, the... Uh, um, the, the Bhagavad Gita, Lord uh, Krishna calls covetous as a great destroyer to the foundation of sin. You know, so we can become addicted to greed. It, it's that covetous behavior that makes men commit sin. And from covetous proceeds wrath, and from covetous flows lust, and from covetous that loss of judgment, deception, pride, arrogance, malice, vindictiveness, shame, shamelessness, loss of prosperity, loss of virtue, anxiety, infamy, spring. Uh, 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 it's a desire for every kind of improper act, the pride of birth, the pride of learning, the pride of beauty, the pride of wealth. And it's, it's, it's malevolence towards everyone. Because when we have an addiction, we're going to defend it. And if you have to defend it, you really aren't alive. You're, you're only defending something that you're coveting. 
And so, you know, what's amazing is when we drop our defensive skills and the, the need to defend ourselves and begin to love and begin to connect with other people and be available and, and not be living in the future and the past, once we connect in that, that moments, we connect with life. And so greed pulls us away from that ability to connect with the living. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't make a living. It doesn't mean that we don't focus on survival. We all have to survive, but we also want to create a life where we're not having to fight to survive, and that means to fight for what we're addicted to. You know, what connects the uh, addictions is that enough is never enough, and, and uh, not, for, not for long anyway. As addicts progress, or rather regress into their addiction to derive su- su- uh, sufficient gratification, they constantly seek more and more of their drug of choice. And the more is the, 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 the key word of addiction. It doesn't matter whether they are addicted to a substance, a relationship, an activity, uh, or getting enough of the object of their craving. It continually has to be raised for an addict. So for all things one might be addicted to, nothing tops the greed and laden pursuit of wealth and its audacity, its manipulativeness, its gross insensitivity to the needs and the feelings of others, not to mention its extreme short-sighted and irresponsible. And so ask a, a multimillionaire or a billionaire uh, with that affliction, and if you can find one willing to talk to you, by the way, uh, you'll discover that their mega fortune quest really has no end point. They won't be able to name the definitive millionth or billionth dollar that they finally have to make. They can't because that means by that's the means by which their riches have come to the end. That That would be saying that they're no longer going to be Uh, seeking wealth. You know, chasing every financial opportunity, and it cannot be overemphasized to the detriment of virtually everything else in their life, has become the be-all and the end-all. And for that, frankly, is where the dopamine is. That's where the master molecule of pleasure in our brain is, and that motivation to, to get that greed Uh, met or to have that greed being constantly fed gives them that dopamine rush to no longer be depressed. It makes them feel good. And in general, their, their money high has to do not just with the feelings of physical elation, but with a kind of self inoculation. And so with perpetual wealth production inoculates them against uh, th- their bare the responsibility of being frankly just available and being frankly more purposeful in their life. And so, you know, I'm not saying that all rich people are greedy. What I'm trying to say is if it becomes an obsession, it takes us away from our goals and our purpose in our living. And so greed is a is a is a mechanism, it's a defense mechanism to excuse ourselves to be able to do bad things and to not join life and be human. You know, it should be stressed that whatever appetite that a greedy person may have for things, their their lust for making money really doesn't have that much to do with the tangible purchases. Most of the time, it has to do with status. It has to do with proving to other people that, yes, I'm better at this than many. 
You know, it's been said that you never get enough of what you don't really want. With people addicted to pursuing wealth, their overwhelming, insatiable passion isn't about getting rich, but richer and still richer. And it's unquestionable that this is not a virtuous cycle, but a markedly vicious one. And and it's it's also markedly human uh, that we as people uh, need to be able to feel that we have more than others. Now, we're going to take a, uh, a break in a few minutes, and we're going to talk about gluttony. But gluttony also affiliates itself to greed in a sense of doing something with our appetite that many people will do with their riches. And, and so, you know, we have to look at what the real problem is. Ultimately, the person's heart's desire, tragically unknown for them, isn't for, for wealth, but for love and emotional intimacy and unconditional acceptance and and rich, satisfying relationships. Regardless of how obscenely wealthy they may come, these are all the things that cannot be purchased with money. You know, the, the, the problem is that when the vicious cycle of being addicted to riches, to a sense of greed, what we're divorcing ourselves from our relationships in life and the people that we love and the real intimate and passionate needs that we have to be connected to other people. If we want happiness that's lasting and a peace of mind that we crave, it's, it's, it's really futile if we just go after one thing. What we have to really go towards is our notion to be a part of other people's lives. All right, now let's come back. We're going to talk about gluttony, and we're going to start with the Oxford English Dictionary definition. Come back. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. It's time to transform your life. Start by tuning in to The Glenise Show with Glenise Hughes. Glenise combines business, relationships, wealth, life, and a whole lot of magic to create abundance and prosperity in every part of your life. It's all done through straight and often frank discussions in the best way that Glenise knows how. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time and 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Master your life with The Glenise Show. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. 
That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about greed and gluttony, which both have the roots in uh, just continuously feeding one of our needs. And, uh, you know, the glutton, according to the Oxford English Dictionary from the Latin word to gulp down or to swallow, is someone who eats to excess or takes pleasure in a moderate eating. You know, John Milton in his uh, Paradise Regained uh, wrote of the sumptuous gluttons and glorious feasts. And, uh, you know, if you look at the, the, the Fairy Queen or Shakespeare uh, saying the glutton-like, glutton-like she feeds yet never filleth. <laughs> and that, that was in a poem, uh, Venus and Adonis. But, you know, Binge eating disorder basically is the disorder uh, that has been created in the new DSM-5. There's no pleasure in their immoderate eating and nothing poetic about their distress. You know, overeating was not studied systematically. It was not until 1959 that only one of the early researchers on obesity, which was, uh, uh, I think he was a psychiatrist, um, Albert... Uh, Stunkard, uh, and he described binge eating as a syndrome where large amounts of food are consumed in an orgasmic manner at irregular intervals. And it, it would take until 2013 when the Diagnostic Manual DSM-5 came out that binge eating disorder became an established psychiatric diagnosis. Um, there was a uh, essay, and uh, I think it was called... Uh, in the edited volume of Food for Thought, and I think the author was Ochi Grosso, um, he explored a long-standing, extraordinarily complex relationship that psychiatry has had with overeating. He, he surveyed uh, in the American Journal of Psychiatry uh, that early psychiatrists, uh, so uh, like uh, asylum superintendents, were more concerned with providing enough healthy food for their patients and dealing with those who refused to eat. But in the mid-19th century, uh, uh, psychiatrists were more, or psych, yeah, psychiatrists were more regarded with temperance of diet, such as an important uh, element of good health, or even went so far as to link habitual overindulgence in food and drink to moral sin of uh, gluttony and uh, basically as an evil. And then, uh, as we move on into the 20th century, and that's the last century, uh, they began to describe conditions such as brain tumors, schizophrenia, atypical depression that led to overeating. And this was also when uh, Freud came in to influence, as uh, he would call it, excessive orality, meaning that we have to continuously feed our mouths as an oral fixation uh, because that is how we deal with our stress. You know, if we look at the diagnostic criteria for, for what, uh, uh, what would be called a binge eating disorder, that is uh, eating within a discrete period of time, within a, maybe a two-hour period, any amount of food 
that is definitely larger than what most people would eat in similar period of time under similar circumstances. So a sense of lack of control over eating during this episode, eating very rapidly, even when you're not hungry, eating well beyond fullness, eating alone because of feeling embarrassed, that's marked distress. So then there's the feeling of being disgusted, depressed, uh, regarding the binge afterwards, there's typically a, a, a consists of food highs and fat, uh, salt and sugar. That's usually what people will binge eat on. And people usually do not binge eat on vegetables uh, uh, as a compensatory activity. Uh, and so they usually are looking for uh, something that will avoid weight gain, such as uh, vomiting or excessive exercising or the use of laxatives. But, uh, you know, they basically are, are, uh, have subjective binges, which is about uh, getting into something that is sugar and salty or both. And, and basically, something that's high in fat, that's something that they just have to, have to, have to have. And that is the biggest problem with people that have a binge eating type of disorder. You know, it, it's really, uh, there, the, there seems to be enough evidence to support uh, the binge eating disorder. But uh, medications uh, really are not out there to help with it. It's not something, all, the, all the, that a psychiatrist is basically going to treat is the anxiety. Um, in the end, what many of these people with binge eating disorder that are gluttons, that are fat, what they end up doing is, is getting some kind of stomach surgery, stapling, whatever you, whatever they do, but basically they end up coming back to the same disorder after two to five years uh, when they do that. And that's statistically uh, sad. But, you know, you have to look at this distress of people that are gluttons. They usually have a lower quality of life. They have a lot of weight gain. They have a lot of medical issues. Uh, they they usually dig their own grave. They dig their own grave by the way they eat. And uh, you know, it, one of the first duties of the physician is to educate people uh, not to take medicines. But with obesity, people have to. They I mean, they end up getting diabetes. They end up getting all kinds of things as gluttons, and basically they they are putting away their sexual activity, they're putting away uh, their relationships with other people, their ability to have an active life with their children, with their family, with their wife, and that gluttony basically takes over and becomes their obsession. You know, there's been a lot of societal attempts to combat obesity and fight it uh, by modifying the individuals themselves through a, through a variety of diets or programs or penalties or punishment, you know. But if indeed obesity and evil were solely matters of character and disposition and metabolism, you know, uh, it's really just a problem that we as human have of of wanting to be able to have more of something, and so you know we're we're constantly seeking more. And a lot of people that have obesity issues call themselves foodies as a way to give themselves an excuse to obsess on certain foods. You know, um, the answer is we, we, we have misidentified our enemy. Uh, social science like history has demonstrated that the most pasual, uh, powerful causal forces behind everything from uh, um, being overweight 
or or being gluttonous or being greedy. It it all has to do with our our subconscious individual choices of how we deal with the stress in our life. And, and the deal is is that we as people, if we're going to stop being obsessed on things like greed and gluttony, we have to really get a hold of a sense of having peace in our life. And if we want peace in our life, that means that our life has a mission. That means that we're willing to have a passion to go after. And if you have a passion to go after that is not going to destroy your life, but going to give to other people, we're going to stop living a life that, and then doing the things in our life that prevent us from doing that. And so the remarkable thing about greed and gluttony is we lose our path. We lose, we sacrifice, that becomes the God in our life, and we lose the ability to do what our passions are all about. You know, if, if we look at the findings of many studies of people that have uh, gluttony in their life, you know, if a brother is obese, the chance of the other brother becoming obese is about 41%. If a sister is obese, the other sister will become uh, obese about 67% of the time. If a spouse is obese, their mate will become so 44% of the time. And among mutual friends, the, the social influence is tremendous with the obesity spreading 171% across their friendship into their guts and into their butts. You know... The, the, if we look at the strategies that do not drag us back to, to the, the uh, focus on uh, witch hunting people that are fat, but also looking at it as why do you need to cope with life this way and how can we not cope with life in that way, if we can help understand that, that a lot of obesities are programmed and they're programmed by the way that we've taught ourselves or others have taught us to deal with our problems. You know, in itself, gluttony is overindulgence. It's overconsumption of food and drink, and it's something pretty much all of us are guilty of from time to time. We love to eat, especially crave rich, calorie-packed food, knowing that we shouldn't, and it often makes little difference. How often has your willpower collapsed at the sight of a, a, a chocolate cake? Our drive to eat goes way beyond basic hunger. And pretty much everyone, uh, if they could take a magic pill that allowed you to eat anything you wanted, unlimited quantities, and not suffer any weight gain or health risks, most people would eat six gigantic meals a day, eat pecan pie, chocolate cake, whatever it is, ice cream all day long. You know, there, there's a this, this huge drive within, within us to eat, 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 and eat some more. What's worse is that the drive seems pretty well focused on foods that are horrible for us. And when was the last time you had an intense mouth-watering craving for Brussels sprouts? You know, at, at our most basic level, we are built to crave high-fat, high-sugar, and high-protein foods. And many of us grow into an appetite for more healthy foods and learn to shun the empty calories of milkshakes and sodas. But if you believe that is a result of anything other than conditioning and training, you're really kidding yourself. The next time you see someone smugly sticking their nose up at a dessert or claiming not to enjoy fried foods, you can be satisfied knowing that the person is either lying or 
or this is their attitude as a result of years of painful self-denial and emotional training. You know, if, if children exhibit a more fundamental form of human emotions, their appetite for sweets and aversion to vegetables speaks for itself. Gluttony is a feature we share with nearly all animals. Anyone with dogs or cats knows how they can gorge themselves on treats, meat, and other rich, savory foods. So we have to regulate the diets of our companion animals carefully or else they will become overweight very quickly. The same goes for laboratory animals like rats and mice and rabbits and fish and monkeys, you name it. Zoo animals too. Great care has to be taken to select their diet, not just to include the diversity of food that they need to be healthy, but to regulate their intake so that they do not become morbidly obese. So in contrast with the seemingly contradictory fact that you almost never encounter obese animals in the wild, animals in their natural state that is the environment, they're adapting through thousands of years of evolution, are most often trim and even skinny. And when you put them in an artificial habitat, they immediately balloon up uh, if they're not careful. Well, you know, that's part of our programming. And indeed, it, it, we are now in an environment where people are highly stationary, imprisoned by their phones, imprisoned by their computers, imprisoned by their televisions, imprisoned by their jobs. We are more of a thought-based creature than a creature that goes out into the woods and hunts for other animals to eat. So we are not slim and trim anymore, and we really uh, still have the same cravings because it's only been less than 100 years that we went out and hunted for our food you know, so the bottom line, the evolution of the human being, we are, our technology is outgrowing our bodies. And our bodies are now outgrowing what they were intentionally shaped towards. Now we're just globs. And, and that's the sad thing is that many people uh, don't understand that they have to put in balance what they have evolved into from our, our life out in the woods, out in the log cabins, out in the wilderness, where we lived out there, we, we have not uh, evolved as fast as our brains have. And so we, our bodies, have to be trained as if we are still living out in the woods. Otherwise, we become stationary, we become sick, our bodies become sick, and they, they, we basically self-destruct. And so it's, it's very stressful for people to be out of shape. Yet, most people are because they do not deal well with the sense of gluttony. We still have that animal instinct that we need to eat all we can to survive while we can. The problem is we now have grocery stores to go to, we have fast food, we have restaurants, all at our fingertips, and so we can basically eat, eat, eat all day long. And we as human beings, uh, our program to do that when we have it available. So most people take advantage of that because they have that primal instinct to eat to survive, but you're not eating to survive anymore. And so we haven't outthought that process. We need to outthink the process for us to lead a good life. You know, we have that drive in us. You know, as soon as our stomach empties, we want to eat again. Fruits and vegetables will do if nothing else is available, but we, will, we want the good stuff. We want the, the protein. We want the, the big fatty foods. You know, sim sensible eating decisions and disciplined restraint aren't part of our inborn psychological toolkit. It's foreign to us to diet. It's foreign to us to regulate 
because we are not used as people to having all of these resources available to us. All right, we're going to take another break. And by the way, it should be noted that that um, it used to be thought that our uh, relatively uh, sedimentary 20th century lifestyle was mostly to blame for the I- increase in, in, in the Western populations in obesity. But the idea is that in previous generations, much more of the population earned their living through physical labor. And now it's uh, labor is recreational. And so that's a phenomenon. That, but we still haven't lost the rich foods uh, which has resulted in uh, a lot of calorie-rich diet. And, you know, it's interesting is that people used to, we, the diet phase came out where they just dumbed down all our food to make it uh, uh, less fattening. And there, we've gone through uh, 20, 30 years where they make food all less fattening, and then all of a sudden people just got sick of it because it got to the point where food didn't even have any taste. And so basically we've gone back to just eating those rich uh, uh, foods that can destroy us. So we have to put things in balance. And we're going to talk about how to do that in the next segment. Come back. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. Moving forward can be difficult to do sometimes. There is always something going on. Many times, nobody else knows exactly what you're going through. If you are experiencing pain or loss, even something that is unexplained that is missing in your life, you'll want to tune into Go For It with host Joe Hausman. Joe and her guests will show you laughter and love. Sometimes you just need something a little positive in your week. Make that spot Tuesday mornings at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. When you learn to see things from a spiritual perspective, it changes the way you see virtually everything in your life. Listen for Dr. Paula Joyce and her program, Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. Our program will help you get rid of the negative aspects of your life and invite love, joy, and prosperity into your life. Turn that negative feeling into a positive one. Tune in to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit, every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. 
That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about greed and gluttony. Now, how do you fight greed? Well, you know, not everybody's a natural giver. Some struggle with generosity because they are worried that their resources would not be enough for them if they give to others. Others are focused on saving as much as possible for the future, and giving to others would defeat the purpose. You know, we all know that an ideal human being is someone who is generous. We admire generous people, especially those who have helped us. But, you know, if you can wonder how you can develop gen- generosity, then, uh, you know, there's there's ways to do it. You know, it, it's uh, more blessed uh, to give than to receive. And, and that's in, uh, I think, Acts 20, 35 in the Bible, it, it says, uh, it tells us that it is more blessed to give than receive. Therefore, do not hesitate to give to others because God loves a cheerful giver. However, make sure your intention of giving is to bless others and not ble- uh, be blessed more because it's already given. You know, remember those who have been generous to you. That That is very important. You know, there, if there's times in your life when you were in need and someone walked in to help, remember how that person's generosity touched your life. Now it's your chance to pay back and pay forward by doing that. You know, it's, it's so amazing. Every once in a while, you will get somebody in a, let's say at a Starbucks line or somebody who pays ahead, they basically pay for what you're going to order or what you ordered as they pay for what they order, oftentimes in the drive-thru. That is such a cool thing to receive and to give that way. That is a, a way which we're not seeking a thank you, we're just doing good. And that's a good thing. You know, you also want to remember those who have not helped you when you are in need. And this is not good to have a grudge against those people, but instead use any experience of being neglected to remind yourself not to do it to other people. You know how it feels to be helpless and allow God to use you to help those in those situations. You know, we don't, we're not built to live for ourselves. You're created for a greater purpose, and that is to be in God's hands and to in and in, in reaching out to others. And if you desire uh, seeing the world as a better place and be a contributor to change, use what you have to help the needy and influence others to do uh, do the same. You want to think about your loved ones and who might be needing others' help. You know, probably uh, you think uh, you would not be needing anyone's help because you have everything. However, what if someone from your family became stuck in a miserable situation, but you were not there and no one wanted to help them? So apply the golden rules. Do unto others what you want others to do unto you, and you can have the peace of mind that God will take care of your loved ones. And know that you cannot bring your wealth when you die. You know, the greatest thing in life is creating memories. Memories are what our legacy is. It's not our things. Our things go away. Our money goes away. Everything that we've left behind physically in this life goes away. What doesn't go away is the legacy of the memories we create with each other. And that is what life is about. It's about memories. That is what lives beyond us. You know, the more 
the more we give back to God, by the way, by giving to others, the greater our life becomes and the more gifts that we get from God. You know, the the joy of being able to help others and bless others is a great feeling to be able to help. Um, and, and it doesn't mean through our money. It means through compassion with empathy, being there for other people. But generosity is not about the amount you give. It's a matter of the heart. Even if you give a big amount, but you do it grudgingly or out of your desire to impress, then it will not give you that joy. True generosity is about your heart to bless other people, no matter how little the amount is, because that's what you can afford. If you can give it uh, with the desire to help, then God will honor that. You you should, uh, you know, think about that. Now, Let's talk in a different vein about how to fight gluttony. You know, self-control is a struggle for a lot of people, especially when it comes to food. So if we're going to do uh, something about our overeating, our gluttony, we want to get rid of our distractions, first of all, whether it's working through lunch in the front of the computer or, or eating chips while you catch up on your favorite television show. Eating while you're distracted is a common occurrence for people. So while it's a habit, it may seem to be uh, harmless for you, but it does cause you to overeat. And there's been about 24 to, to uh, 40 studies that have found that being distracted during a meal leads people to consume more calories at the meal. It also causes them to eat more food later in the day compared to people who paid attention to their food while they're eating. The other thing is, if we're going to control gluttony, know your weaknesses. Pinpointing which foods you have a particular hard time limiting yourself can help you decrease your chances of overeating. For example... If you have a habit of eating a large bowl of ice cream every night, uh, stop keeping ice cream in your freezer. Uh, preparing healthy options like sliced apples with peanut butter, hummus and veggies, uh, homemade trail mix can help you uh, make better choices when you're, you're really desiring a treat. Another helpful tip is to keep uh, unhealthy snack foods like chips, candy, cookies out of sight so that you aren't tempted to grab a handful every time you walk past. You know, the other thing about if we're going to stop ourselves from gluttony is don't ban all your favorite foods. Restrictive eating patterns that cut out many of your favorite foods usually will cause a person to feel deprived and drive you to binge on uh, on the things that we're not supposed to eat. Diets that concentrate on whole, unprocessed foods are always best, but making room for an occasional treat is is healthy. So, you know, swearing that you'll never have another scoop of ice cream, a slice of pizza, a, a, a piece of chocolate again is really not realistic for most people. Instead, focus on providing your body with mostly healthy, nutritious food while also giving yourself the freedom to enjoy a treat, you know, every once in a while. You, you also want to think about uh, the volume of eating. Uh, you know, what? What there's a thing called volumetrics, and it's a way of eating that focuses on filling up with low-calorie, high-fiber foods like non-starchy vegetables. Consuming foods that are low in calories, high in fiber, and water before meals can help you feel uh, full so that you aren't tempted to overeat. And, and um Good foods that will fill you up is like grapefruit, salad greens, broccoli, beans, tomatoes, low-sodium broth. Eating a large salad or a bowl, a bowl of low-sodium broth 
based soup before lunch and dinner may be an effective way in preventing overeating. Also, um, avoid eating from containers. Uh, gluttons love to eat from container, eating chips out of the bag or ice cream out of the carton or, or a takeout uh, straight from a box can lead you to consume more food than you need. Instead, portion out a single serving size on a plate or in a bowl to help control the number of calories you're going to eat. And then train your eye. Try measuring out serving sizes for a week or two until you know what a normal portion should look like. Biggest thing is with your mental health, reducing your stress. Because stress leads to overeating, it's so important to find ways to the, reduce the amount of stress in your life. Chronic stress basically drives up your cortisol, with, and that hormone re, uh, increases your appetite. So, you know, studies have shown that being stressed can lead to overeating, increased hunger, binge eating, weight gain. There are many simple ways to reduce your stress. You know, listening to music, gardening, meditation, exercise, breathing techniques, all of those are good ways to help you. Also, mindful eating. Adopting mindful eating techniques is one of the best ways to prevent overeating. You know, mindful eating stresses the importance of focusing on the present moment and being aware of your thoughts, your emotions, your senses while you're eating. So many studies have shown that mindful eating is an effective way to reduce binge eating behaviors, overeating, and emotional eating. Also, Eat fiber-rich foods. Those, those like beans and vegetables and oats and fruit, they can help fill you satisfy, help you make you feel satisfied for a longer, and they also help reduce the urge to overeat. You know, snacking on nuts, adding uh, beans to your salad, eating vegetables at every meal, it may help reduce the amount of food that you actually are going to eat. And also, it's very important to eat regular meals. When attempting to lose weight, many people cut out meals in the hope that it will decrease the number of calories they take in. Unfortunately, when they eat, they're very serious about it, and they start eating a lot. And so they eat more than they should. And so basically what happens is that lunch that they bypass and forgot – uh, basically is going to come back and bite them in the evening when they're starving and they basically are not going to regulate what they take in. You know, journaling what you eat is a way to be mindful of what you're taking in in a day. Or, uh, you know, dining with people who actually make good food choices as your dining uh, companions is another good way to help have good uh, food choices. You know, oftentimes uh, many people that are gluttons will eat with a good mindful person that creates a mindful meal, but then basically what happens is when they get time alone, they start filling up on all kinds of bad foods. You know, protein helps keep you full throughout the day, and it can also decrease your appetite. You know, eating a high-protein breakfast has been shown to reduce hunger and snacking later in the day. Choosing a protein-rich thing like uh, eggs tends to lower your levels of a hormone that uh, stimulates hunger. Uh, It's called uh, gorelitin. And also adding higher protein snacks such as Greek yogurt to your routine can help you eat less. You know, uh, other ideas, very much, this is all simple stuff. Stabilize your blood sugar levels. Eating white bread, cookies, candy, and other carbohydrates with high 
uh, sugar indexes will likely cause your blood sugar levels to spike. Um, so this this is a, a rapid uh, blood sugar fluctuation promotes uh, overeating and hunger. So choosing sh- uh, foods with lower sugar will help blood sugar levels uh, uh, spike, not spike, and also reduces overeating. The other thing is slow down. Slow down. Eating too much too quickly may cause you to overeat and lead to weight gain over time. You know, slower-paced eating is associated with increased fullness and decreased hunger, and it can serve as a very good tool for controlling our overeating. Also, taking the time to chew our food has also been shown to reduce overall food intake and increase feelings of being full. Alcohol, people who struggle with alcohol, if you drink a lot of alcohol, you, you're going to have a lot of trouble with eating because you no longer are, are going to have a sense of being responsible or regulated. So cutting back on the amount of alcohol you drink may be a good way of minimizing your overeating. You know, there's one study that found that college students who drank four to five drinks at a time or more, more than once a week were more likely to overeat after drinking compared to students who drank one or two drinks at a time. So, you know, replace those sugary beverages with water. Uh, plan ahead. You know, if you're not prepared when hunger strikes, you're more you do it for your children. Usually you have something available for them. Can't you have a, something available for yourself? All right. That's our show. I'd like to thank everybody for listening. I would love to hear from you, drgbmft at sbcglobal.net or through the Absurd Psychology webpage on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now remember, gluttons are on diets. It's called seafood diet. Now if you want to see your children after they grow up, have money in the bank and at least one life-threatening health issue. Also remember, we live in a day where people pay thousands of dollars to travel somewhere exciting and stare at their phone. Thanks for listening, everybody. That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you.